Good morning. It is so good to see your faces this morning. I'm so thankful for the honor to get to minister to you today. I have no doubt that the Lord, because he is faithful and he is good, will minister and touch your heart in exactly the way that you need. Um, so we're just going to avail ourselves to that this morning. Uh, but first, we're going to think about those late night, nights when we're up really late. And you know what happens. You turn on the TV and what do you see? You see a lot of products claiming to solve all your problems. And I want a show of hands. Honesty is important in church. A show of hands. Who has ever bought an as-seen-on-TV product? Yeah, liars in the house of the Lord. Who has a ShamWow? Anybody own it? Who has a George Foreman grill? You guys, it comes with steaks sizzling on it. It's already cooking dinner for you. Who has, we had a thigh master in our house growing up. Um, shake weight, anybody? No, no, you didn't fall for that one. I've heard the pet egg actually really, really works. Like, it legit will help your feet. Um, who has, uh, let's see, who's ever bought a scrub daddy? Apparently everyone in this room, because they've sold 14 trillion of them, so I've heard. Um, a Snuggie? Who has a Snuggie? Snuggie. That's good stuff right there. Um, listen, I'm not going to... Everyone's telling me the next thing that I need, like the thing that'll help me in solving my problems, is an air fryer. And I'll tell you, I'm not falling for it. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not falling for it because here's what I know about myself. I know I'll get the air fryer and I'm going to use it twice and I'm going to like it, but then it's going to be such a mammoth on my counter. I'm going to have to put it away and then I'll guilt manage that in my cabinet for the next decade and I'll never use it again. And so I know this. Um, I was going to show you an infomercial and then I changed my mind. It's called Million Dollar Smile. Don't look it up right now because you won't come back to this message. Um, but later, like after church, like it, after lunch, look up Million Dollar Smile and you're welcome. Okay. Aren't we taken in by anything that promises to clean the mess faster and make eating healthy easier and anything that'll give us more time or more energy? Like, what supplement will cure my exhaustion and help me see normal-sized font again? Like, what supplement is that? And what workout equipment will help me work out without actually having to work out? You know what I'm saying? And what cream is going to just take away all my wrinkles as I sleep and give me, like, an extra 12 hours of sleep? Like, what's the product that's going to do that? And what are we after, really? What are people after? We're after a holy grail product. Don't you want that? Like, we want our pain relieved. We want our problems solved. We want to make our flaws disappear. We want to reduce our anxiety. We want to minimize our insecurity. And we are craving solutions, so we're consuming remedies, right? Is that a remedy? Take my money. Take all my money if that's going to solve my problem. Now, many Christians, many, some, a couple, you decide, can do a version of this on a spiritual level. They want a quick fix remedy 
to a deeply rooted issue. So they got to they gotta go to that worship concert. They got to attend that conference. If, if I just read this book, if I just get that speaker to lay their hands on me and pray for me, and some of us chase holy grail moments with God. And we're trying to distract ourselves from our loneliness and our sadness and our fears and our pains and our struggles. But most of the time, our issues don't suddenly disappear because we went to the right conference or we sang the right song. Our core issue, if you funneled it down, all the struggle and the heartache and the longing and the trials, and if you, if you kind of broke it all down, if you could reduce the cry of the human heart to one thing, it would be the desperate need to belong. We want to belong. And when we don't feel belong, we, we have insecurities and we try to find other things to help meet that need of belonging. So I'm going to call this kind of hit and stuff Hitting events, consumer Christianity, right? We're going to get to that concert. We're going to attend that conference. we got to go to church. We're going to drive to this revival service because God's there. And we got to go visit Jesus. But visiting Jesus is not going to meet our need for lasting connection to him. Um, there is a, a scientific law. It's Goodhart's law. It states... When the measure becomes the target, it ceases to be a good measure. Meaning if we conflate attending events as our relationship with Jesus, we start to believe the reward is in attendance. We're chasing the emotional high of an experience, which is why so many people are dissatisfied. Not you, people you know. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you and say you are King of kings and Lord of lords and you have your way today. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our spirits. Have your way in our hearts. Have every word in this message. It belongs to you. We belong to you and and only in you is our greatest need of belonging met. And we thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Well, Jesus doesn't want us to visit him. And Jesus doesn't want to meet up with us. Jesus laid down his life for you. What do you think he wants? (laughs) He wants what he's wanted since the Genesis beginning. He wants intimate relationship. Intimate relationship. God created you for intimate relationship with him. And he's invited us into his love. And that very disconnection that plagues every human soul, right? The sin that separated us from God is only made right through who? Jesus. It's only made right through him. And only in giving him our lives do we find the thing we crave more than anything else on this earth, which is to belong, to be loved, to be connected. Say connected. Connected. Jesus gives us the magic bullet for connection in John 15. And guess what? It doesn't involve purchasing anything. We don't have to buy anything for this. Jesus says, abide in me. 
abide in me. You belong with me, so abide in me. Abide in the Greek is the word meno, and it means to stay, to remain, to live with, right? We're not visiting Jesus. We're staying with him. We're living with him. You remember the verse, in him we live and move and have our being. Our very being is only alive when we're with him. There are some Christians who obligatorily, they want to check off the boxes. Go to church, check. Pray, check. Read the Bible, check. Sing the songs, check. Give the offering, check. Serve, check. So that God is less angry with them. So that they'll be more holy. So that they'll feel less guilty. Religion is the relationship of rituals to appease God. And really, it's kind of a fearful relationship. You're afraid of him, but you still want him to give you some perks. So you're going to try to please him. Then there are Christians who go to church and pray and read their Bible and sing the song and give the offering and they serve. And they're not doing it to impress God at all. They're just doing it because they love him. They just love him. They want to be with him. They want to know his heart. They want God to know their heart. This is abiding. Abiding is the relationship of intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. When we abide, we are continually in the place where we're trusting and receiving the fullness of God. Trusting and receiving. Because in Jesus, we get to experience the fullness of God. Isn't that awesome? This is awesome. Now, what does abiding look like? Let's say we have a, some of you might think of abiding like this. You know, we live our day, and this is the Lord. Everyone say, hi, Lord. Hi, Lord. <laughs> Hello, Lord. You and I, we might think of abiding like this. We're going to start our day, and we're going to say, Lord, I just woke up. Thank you for this day, and thank you for being with me today. Thanks, Lord. And then we go about our day, and we're going to uh, drink some coffee, and we're going to get dressed, we're going to take a shower, we're going to go to work, and we're going to be there all day. We're going to answer calls. Oh, lunch. Oh, Lord, thanks for the lunch. And then we're going to get in our commute, and we're going to get home, and we're going to start a load of laundry, and we're going to make dinner for everybody. <laughs> they can't agree on what's for dinner. And you're stressed, and then finally you get ready. You make it to bed. <sighs> and we say, oh, Lord, thank you for watching over me as I went about my day today. You were good. Amen. And that's our idea of abiding. But let me share some scriptures with you. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him for he lives with you and will be in you. 
Yes, amen. And Jesus said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So actually, abiding looks a lot more like this. Good morning, Lord. Thank you for waking me up today. God, there's a lot of things we got going on, but thank you for being with me as I'm going to work and we're together and you're just speaking to me by your spirit. And it's going to be a big day at work, Lord, but I just think, oh, oh, we're, you're taking me a different direction than I was intending. But you lead, God. You get to lead exactly where you want to go because I want to yield to you. It's not my agenda today. It's your agenda. And I love being so close to you and feeling your presence. And even though I'm doing the laundry, you're there. And even though I'm cooking the dinner, you're there. And now that I've had a big day and I'm laying down, Lord, thank you. You were there the whole day. Isn't our God good and faithful? Thanks, Lord. God is with you all the time. Say all the time. All the time. The Holy Spirit abides in you all the time. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus explains how we abide in him in John 15. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John 15. Now John is probably my favorite gospel. I don't know why. I just love it so much. And I think it's because John expresses the theme that Jesus is Lord. Right? That's John's message. Jesus was fully man, but he was fully God. He is the Messiah. And all throughout John, there's a cool pattern that happens if you notice it. There's seven I am's that Jesus calls himself. Jesus calls himself, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light in the darkness. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then this is the seventh of the seven I am's that Jesus gives in John. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And why he says true vine here is because before this, when a vine or a vineyard was mentioned, it referred to Israel. So Jesus is saying, oh, I'm not any vine. I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And verse 5 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So let's recap the characters in Jesus' metaphor here. God is the vine dresser, the owner. God the Father is the owner of the vineyard. Jesus is the vine. He's the life source for us. The fruit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit? 
love and everything flowing out of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And not only those, there's a ton other. They're not just listed in that verse. Wisdom, discernment, grace, faith, all of these things flow out. They're all fruits of the Spirit. And what are we? We are the? We're the branches. There's two types of branches in this verse. There is a fruit-producing branch that the vine dresser prunes to produce more fruit. This is a good thing. Pruning is not punishment. Pruning leads to greater production. So it's good. It's good to be pruned. And then there's a, a second fruitless branch that is being taken away. Or some verses, uh, some translations say cut off, and some translations can say lifted up. We're going to use the taken away. And so what do we ask ourselves? Which branch am I? Right? Do you, ask, do you look at those verses and you go, okay, Lord, which branch am I? Am I a fruitful branch or am I a fruitless branch that you're taking away? And the answer is yes. Yes. I, you know, it's funny. I don't know why we get so literal with metaphors like, I'm only one branch. <laughs> I'm only one thing. We're not only one thing. We're not only one thing. And by the way, Jesus said, you are the what? Branches. It's, he already said it was plural. So there's two kinds of branches and they're both, get this, both of these branches are abiding in him. Okay? They're us. He says, one that's abiding is not producing any fruit. I'm going to take that away. And the other that's producing fruit, I'm going to prune so it produces more fruit. We are the branches. Right? Some of us have branches that are cultivating kindness and God prunes us so we bear more kindness. And then he prunes us again so we bear much kindness. And then some of us, we might have an envious branch or a prideful branch or an angry branch. And the Lord says, my fruit doesn't grow on that. My fruit won't grow there. So we're going to need to take that away. But don't worry, because... When we get rid of your anger branch, it's going to leave room for a new gentleness branch that has a brand new bud on it for you. So God taking away a fruitless branch is sanctification. Think of this like sanctification. Because I don't know about you, but the day I got saved, I wasn't instantly perfect. Did you get saved and become perfect? No, but the spirit that is perfect dwelled in you. And sanctification is the process of God refining us and growing us to bring us more and more into the image of the Lord. And so most times we won't admit our pride or our envy or our anger until the Holy Spirit convicts us. And then when we are convicted of that unrighteousness, the only correct response is repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. Whew, I'm sorry for that behavior. I will not repeat that behavior, and not by my own might, God, but by your spirit. And boom, God removes that toxic branch. He takes it away. So sanctification is that continual process 
of God, bringing us more and more into his image. And that picture of the vine dresser taking away the fruitless branch, I think it's illustrated so well in Philippians 2.12. Paul writes this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay, this can be a tricky verse for some people. Here's three pivotal points about sanctification and about this verse right here. Number one, we are not working for our salvation. Don't send me an email. It's not what I'm saying. This, is not say, this doesn't say work for your salvation. That's not what it says. Because what do we know? Salvation was a free gift. It was free gift. We could not earn it. Jesus did it for us because we couldn't do it for ourselves. But guess what? Now we get to honor that free gift by sorting out our issues that we have with God in fear, which is reverencing him, going, you know what? His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He knows more than me. So I am going to revere and be in awe of who he is. And in trembling, that trembling is our humility and teachability that leads us to repentance, that leads us to go, oh, I, I, I missed the mark there. Lord, I, I, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to work out the salvation you've gifted me with fear and trembling because I want to honor it. Number two, it isn't you who works in you. It's God who works in you. Yay! Good news, team. It's God. So God is cutting off all those fruitless branches, right, that aren't conveying his love and his peace and his joy, and he's getting rid of those things. And it's up to us to partner with him and say, yes, Lord, remove that. Get that out of me. I don't want it there anymore. We are not perfect branches, but we are attached to a perfect vine. Amen? Amen. So when God exposes our errors and mistakes, we say, yikes, Lord, okay, I'm turning away from that and turning toward you because that's not my source. You're my source. I'm looking to you to be my source. And this is uh, point number three. The repentant heart never falls off with the branch. When we're, when we're repentant and we're clinging to the vine, when the branch goes, you're not going with it because the branch is no longer your source. Jesus is your source. So you never have to worry when God's taken away the branch that you're being carried off with it. Not if you're clinging to the vine. Not if you're clinging to Jesus. Not if he's your source. So this is working out our salvation. It's allowing God to get our issues out of us. God is working to get our issues out of us. Amen? Colossians, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. The Lord who is spirit leads us into all truth, but this is not a one-time download. It is a continual process, and it's a relational partnership. This is our partnership with the Holy Spirit. Let's continue reading in John 15. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The Lord is saying, if you are just so attached to me, whatever you're going to ask is going to be exactly what I want because you're attached to me. So you're going to be asking for greater love, greater joy, greater peace in this area. God, I need greater self-control. Lord, I need to see your kingdom here. And God says, whatever you ask, it's going to be done for you because you're praying my heart. You're praying my will. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus didn't ask you to do anything he hasn't already done. Right? So Jesus said, abide in my what? Abide in my love. Abide in my love. How? How do we do that? He tells us. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Jesus says abide ten times in this passage. And I want to give you an easy way to remember how to do this. So we're going we're gonna to use three A's when we think about abiding. The three A's are awareness, attention, and attachment. We're going to be aware. We're going to focus on the Lord. We're going to be sensitive to his spirit. We're going to, we're going to set our focus and attention on him. Attention, that's listening to him, right? You can be aware of God and not listen to him, but we're going to listen to him. We're going to set our attention on him. We're not going to be distracted by the other voices and noises. We're going to give him our attention so we can hear what he's saying and how he's leading. And then finally, attachment. Attachment is when we're so close to his side, we see what he's doing and we obey. We obey. We're going to mirror what we see our Savior doing. And through awareness and attention and attachment, that's how we abide in that intimate relationship that God wants, that intimate relationship. Jesus is 100% abiding in you. Are you 100% abiding in return? I mean, I mean, not likely, right? Not really, not likely. I mean, I think some of us can say, I'm saved, I abide 100%, but I'm really, can we be honest just one second? Jesus is 100% doing his part, that we know. Are we giving him our all. We sing, I surrender all. Are we practically doing that in every area of our life? So it may be because there are aspects of your life you have not given over to the Lord. That might be a reason. Or, you know, it might be because you're not doing anything wrong, but like precious Martha, you are distracted and consumed about many things, right? I don't got time to sit in my prayer closet all day and be with Jesus because I got things to do. And I have a theory that Jesus, Jesus didn't create you to sit in a prayer closet. Jesus created you to produce his fruit. And so Jesus wants time with you, but like the parable of the talents, he doesn't want you to bury that and not interact with people and not go do what he's called you to do, Right? So what's the balance? How do I abide in him and then still do stuff and still abide in him? How do we do that? So let's get practical. 
Do y'all like applicable things? I like applicable things. So let's talk about that. We all share, all of us in this room and around the world, two limited resources every day, and that's time and energy. We all have the same amount of time, roughly the same amount of energy. That can kind of, right, go up or down, depending on what you're giving your time and energy to. But they're limited resources. And to better analyze where our time and energy go, we're going to use James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, which explains how our smallest habits steer the course of our lives. I recently finished this book. I can't recommend it highly enough. It was awesome. Um, so he talks about how we're making thousands of tiny decisions every day. And most of them are so small, we're unaware of them because they've become automated habits in our lives. And those tiny, repeated behaviors are responsible for where you are today. Thanks, habits. So he tweeted this. He said, habits account for, are you ready for this? 40 to 50% of your daily actions. You, didn't, you weren't even thinking about it. That's what your habits are doing, half your day. But their true impact is even greater because your habits shape the conscious choices that follow. An example, opening YouTube out of habit can lead to an hour of procrastination. Can I get it? Can I get an amen? Control that small habit, you regain the entire hour. Wow. So these tiny things have a big impact. So it matters what our habits are. It matters what our choices are. Is the day leading you or are you leading the day? Who's in charge? So, if you will, with me, let's analyze our day. Let's just kind of generically join together and look at our day together because our routines are making up our life. Our routines make up our life. So assuming you sleep eight hours a day, and I know some of you are like, I only need four. That's not true. You need more sleep. Um, but let's just assume on average we're sleeping eight hours a day. Okay, let's look at our life. We have how many hours left? 16. We get 16, basically. And so let's think of these hours as unit. Every hour is one unit, okay? So getting ready, a unit. Commuting to work, that's probably a unit. Eight units for our job, our work, what we're doing, parenting, stay-at-home parents, you work. Eight hours, in it. that didn't even cut it for you. All right, two units, cooking, eating, preparing meals, two units on your chores and your errands and your bill paying and you're picking up the dry cleaning, you're going to the grocery store and you gotta clean the toilet, right? All those different things, paying the bills. And then two units, recreation. That's your unwinding time, your hobby time, your TV time, your watching the news time, your playing the instrument, whatever. Whatever you do. Exercise. Some of you exercise for recreation. <laughs> so there's that, if you're that person. Um, that's wonderful. See, I, I said that out of envy. I said that out of envy. All right, so... How much time do we have left? 
carry the two cross? Zero. <laughs> there are zero units left in our proverbial day. There's zero units left. Wow. How often in the 16 units of my day am I aware of the Holy Spirit? Am I paying attention to his leading? And more, more importantly, what behaviors in the midst of all this is actually hindering my connection to Jesus? What if I've got some units in there that we really don't want God to be with us in it all? James Clear says if you can improve 1% each day in a particular area of your life, you'll end up 37 times better by the end of a year. 1% in a year is 37 times better. Isn't that astonishing? So my question is, are you who you want to be in Christ today? And then I wonder how our lives would be different if we allocated an additional 1% of our day, which is 15 minutes, 15 minutes, to uninterrupted time with the Lord. Uninterrupted time. And one of the powerful revelations in Atomic Habits, here's what's so cool because we think, yeah, okay, I'll give God 15 minutes and I, 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 I can muster through that. And in this book, he goes on to talk about how willpower and self-discipline aren't the things that you think they are. They're not nearly as effective as identity, who you think you are. And so he says identity has a far greater impact. Habits are rooted in your identity, and you'll act in accordance with what you believe about yourself. So if you want to build a good habit or break a bad one, it must be about who you want to become. And he gives this example of two people who want to quit smoking. And one of them is offered a cigarette and they say, oh, thanks, but you know what? I'm really trying to quit. And then the second person is offered a cigarette and they reply, no, thank you, I'm not a smoker. One was basing the answer on a goal. I have a goal. I'm trying to quit. And the other one had changed their identity. I'm not a smoker. Who do you think is going to be more successful? Scientific fact, the person who believes they are not will be more successful. Habits are not about achieving something, but becoming someone. And you can say, I wish I spent more time with God, or you can say, I am an abiding child of God. I'm an abiding child of God. And when you start to believe that, you will shift how you're spending your time. You will change how you schedule those units. And you will be very careful where you put your time and your energy. Here's a fact for you. You crave what you consume. You crave what you consume. Imagine, if you will, you buy a gallon of Bluebell ice cream. And you stick it in your freezer. And tonight, before bed, you open your freezer, and there's that Bluebell staring you in the face. And so 
you are ready for bed and you make yourself a big bowl of your favorite flavor of bluebell and you get in bed and you eat the ice cream before bed. That's a good night. It's a good night. All right. Night number two. You're in the kitchen. Oh, you remember you have bluebell. You're going to make yourself another bowl of bluebell. And so night number two, right, you're almost ready for bed. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to scoop me some more bluebell. You sit in bed and you start eating that bluebell. It's a great end to your day. Now, here's, here's what I can almost guarantee. On night three, while you are in your closet putting on your PJs, you're, gonna, you're just going to all of a sudden have a craving for ice cream. Out of nowhere, right? This is Pavlov's dog happening right now. You're going to instantly be like, why do I want ice cream so bad now? Because patterns take hold of us fast, faster than we realize. And when, in this case, ice cream, we're craving it because it's delicious, but we crave other things because they are a temporary antidote to our worries and our anxiety and our insecurity, and that's why we're craving them. But they're just distractions. They're never going to heal us. Jesus is the healer. He's the remedy. If you want to crave more of Jesus, you have to consume more of Jesus. So here's a start. Here's a start. Schedule a unit of your day to spend uninterrupted time with the Lord. That's consecrated. Like not just praying while we're doing something else, but doing nothing else. Just sitting with him and being with him. Uninterrupted time. And if you're like a unit, that's 60 minutes. I don't think I can, I don't think I have that. That's okay. Why don't we just give him 1%? 15 minutes. Add 15 minutes of your day to the Lord. And if that sounds like a lot, it's not. I'm telling you, you can worship five minutes to a song. You can read five minutes of a verse and you can pray five minutes and that 15 minutes will go by like that. Another thing you can do is add more time with him while you're getting ready. You can listen to the YouVersion app, the Bible read to you while you're getting ready. You can put on worship music in the car while you're commuting. You can trade your social media time for time studying the scriptures or having a Bible study with a friend, right? You still have to live all the units of your day, but you can pivot your intention toward the Lord in those units. We're just, oh, we're being, we're pivoting our attention. We're being more aware. We're being more attentive so that we can be more attached to him. Our relationship with Jesus is not just another relationship in our life. It is the relationship of our lives. The relationship. He is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And do you know why? He wants your time and energy so he can renew you with his love. Every minute, every speck of energy you spend in his presence, it's not wasted. He multiplies it back to you. He's amazing. So through John 15, Jesus is telling us, abide in me, stay close to me, listen to my words, be nourished by my love. And as you cling to me, Jesus is saying, as you cling to me, which is when you're trusting in and receiving from me, right? I'll prune 
more of my fruits growing so you produce more. Oh, more peace, more kindness, more gentleness, more mercy, more faith, more joy. And then he says, my father, he's going to cut off the branches that are fruitless and diseased because in me there are no jealous branches, there are no selfish branches, there are no abusive branches, there are no manipulative branches, there are no hateful branches, there are no addictive branches. Are you seeing what Jesus wants to cut off of his people? Because these branches will never produce my fruit. They are anti-love, they are anti-Christ. That's why they're taken away. They can't remain on my vine. Did you notice we skipped a verse in John 15? Doug noticed. It's a verse that sends a shiver down the spine. It's verse 6. Jesus says this, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. There's a third branch. The one who rejects the vine. If anyone does not abide, he is cast out as a branch because he rejects the vine. Jesus says, remember the other two branches? They were abiding in me. What's the difference? This one is not abiding. And earlier when God removed the fruitless branch that was abiding in him, that was sanctification. That was God getting our issues out of us, right? Those are, that's good. That's good. The third branch is different. It's not abiding in him. This is someone who left Jesus, doesn't want Jesus as their source, and is clinging to a branch and falling off with it. This is Judas betraying Jesus. He traded God's love for fearful greed, and he willingly left the Lord's side because at some point he began to believe a different spirit. And he trusted that spirit over the spirit of God. And Judas chose treason over the vine. And God didn't remove Judas. God removed the branch. Judas removed Judas. By believing a counterfeit spirit. And 1 John 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether it is from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John says, beloved, that's, that's you, that's the church. Believers don't believe every spirit because there's false spirits. And they're competing for your allegiance and counterfeit spirits. They want you to abide in them and they want you to believe in them. And there are spirits in the church that are trying to deceive believers every single day. Spirits of idolatry, spirits of contention, spirits of oppression, and God is casting those out. So you have to ask yourself, am I holding on to the branch or am I clinging to the vine? Before we call this the Judas branch, 
which I've heard some people call it. I want to remind you of another disciple who betrayed and abandoned Jesus. Who was that? Peter. Jesus. Jesus gives this this whole beautiful message on abiding. And then he goes into how he's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he gives us all of that, right, in, in those chapters in John. And in less than 24 hours, Peter will have run away and denied knowing Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. He literally left the Lord's side and literally declared, I'm not one of his disciples. I mean, that's pretty rough. That's what he said. He fell off the vine. He fell off the vine. He abandoned Jesus. But is that the end of Peter's story? No. In John 21, here is the picture that leads to the restoration of Peter. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the other side. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. He started running toward the vine. The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. Remember that for a second. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Okay, have no doubt. As Peter sat with Jesus over that crackling fire, the irony was not lost on him. You know that Peter felt every bit the rejector, that withered and burned branch. He is looking at the ash, and he's looking at Jesus. He's looking at the ash, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's just remembering what Jesus has said. He's like repeating it over and over. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they burned. He's like, I'm that branch. I'm that branch. And he's in agony, and he's eating the fish, and, but then the fish is delicious, and the bread is so warm and good. And you know, even though he feels terrible, he feels so loved. He feels so loved. And then he's like, wait a minute, after Jesus said the thing about the branch burning, he said something about love. What did he, what did he say about love? He said, oh yes, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you abide in my love. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then Jesus asked him two more times, do you love me? Do you love me? And with every yes that Peter gave, Jesus was restoring him back to him. And what was the, what, what did Jesus say after he said, yes, Lord, he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs then do what I command. Do what I commanded you. Do what I created you for. Produce the fruit that I intended you for. If you or someone you know is like that third branch in John 15, 6, this is not the end of your story because God says it's not the end of your story. Ephesians 2, 4 says, but because 
of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were what? Dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So let's be like Peter. Let's jump out of the boat when we see the vine. Let's jump out of the boat. Let's get off the branch and run to him. But may we never underestimate the resurrection power of our God to bring dead things to life. There is no soul beyond his reach. There is no soul beyond his reach. There's no soul beyond his reach. If he can restore Peter, he can restore you. Or he can restore the loved one you have been desperately praying for. They're not beyond his reach. John 15, verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. Jesus calls us his friend. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you. That you love one another. Only in abiding do we remain in his love. And only in abiding are we capable of loving one another. If you are a believer in Christ... The Savior you gave your life to has not once left your side. He's been with you every step, every second. So with awareness and attention, attach yourself to him. Hold fast to his love. If you, today, if you have never given your life to Jesus and made him your Lord and Savior, there has never been a better day than today. If you would say, I know I'm disconnected from God because of my sin and I want to lay down my life before him because he gave his life for me and only through his faithfulness will I experience grace and redemption and eternal life, then we're going to pray together. Or maybe you knew Jesus once, but you've rejected him since. And I have good news. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If, if you would like to commit your life to Christ for the first time or renew your commitment, would you just simply raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. If that's you, you know, I haven't, I haven't been living for him like I should. And we'll just take this moment and make today our commitment, make today our day to follow him and trust him. Would you close your eyes and repeat this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I've sinned against you and I am sorry. 
You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. I believe you are fully God, fully man. You died for me. You rose again. And I am redeemed in you. And I trust you with my life. In Jesus' name. If you received the communion elements when you came in, would you, would you grab that? If you do not have your communion elements, there's some on the side table and there's a few at the back. There's some right over here on this side and you can grab that. We're going to take communion together and use this time just to ask the Lord, Lord, what branch in me needs to go? What branch are you pruning that I can lean into more so I can just grow in that part of your spirit? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You take the bread in your hand. Lord, we remember you were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. Let's take the bread together. The chastisement for our peace was placed upon you, and by your stripes we are healed. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your loving sacrifice. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you for sending your spirit to comfort us and guide us and equip us and challenge and convict us and strengthen us so we grow more into your image every day. Amen. If our prayer partners would come up, if you have absolutely anything you are believing God for, or you want to pray for, these prayer partners will believe with you. They are full of faith. They trust in God that he is who he says he is. All right, I'm going to leave you with three ways to abide more closely, starting today to carry into the week. Number one, schedule in some consecrated time with the Lord. James Clear says if you want to start doing something, you need to write down the time and place you're going to do it. So write down when and where you're going to have your undistracted time, your uninterrupted time with the Lord this week. Schedule that in. Number two, invite the Holy Spirit into all the units of your day because he's with you anyway. So let's remember that. And let's remember he's there and talk to him. Invite him into the laundry. Invite him into the commute. Invite him into that conversation. Invite him into that problem and that struggle. He's there with you already. Number three, since, since the Holy Spirit is there, let's ask the Holy Spirit for the gift of discernment. 
The Holy Spirit has all kinds of gifts he wants to bless the body of Christ with. And discernment is more important now than ever because not every voice is the voice of the Lord. And there are voices out there who speak as if Jesus has not come, not redeemed us, and they're building on fear. And those voices are the voices you discern and say, no, that's not the voice of the Lord. Because the voice of the Lord speaks that Jesus has come, he has redeemed us, and he always builds on love. And so we're going to attach our hearts and our spirits to the voice of his love. Amen? Amen. Will the Lord bless you and keep you? May his face shine upon you. He's going to give you great joy and great peace. Have a wonderful week in Jesus' name. I love you. Bye-bye.